الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الذين ينفقون أموالهم في سبيل الله ثم لا يتبعون ما أنفقوا منا ولا أذى لهم أجرهم عند ربهم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم In the last gathering we highlighted the life of Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu or I should say highlighted one key quality of Abu Bakr radiyallahu anhu and that was his ability to multiply his reward exponentially and multiply his iman and his status exponentially. And the key by which he did so wasn't necessarily through his own deeds, although, of course, those are very noteworthy and very noble in and of themselves. But it was largely because he was very proactive in bringing other people toward deen and bringing other people toward goodness. And this was his habit, that whenever an opportunity arose to bring people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and in his circumstance, bring people to the messenger, physically to the messenger, he would do so without, without, uh, without, w- with tremendous sacrifice through that process. And we started by talking about how this is the key to our deen, meaning that we either depend upon ourselves and our own deeds, which is challenging because we try and we fail, we try and we fail, or we work on the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, which was مَنْ عَلَىٰ خَيْرٍ فَلَهُ مِثْلُ أَجْرِ فَاعِلِهِ right? or الدَّالَ عَلَىٰ الْخَيْرِ كَفَاعِلِهِ different narrations which says that the one who invites toward good is as if that person's done it themselves and so whatever that person subsequently does if you've guided them toward it then all of that goes into your account as well if you encourage someone to get to the masjid and you've established the habit of going to the masjid into into their life and you're the responsible being behind why that occurred then that all that reward of them going to the masjid is now into your account so we spoke about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in particular because of, of the sahaba he was that individual uh, he was one of the individuals that really made an effort to bring people toward the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and, and brought them to the to the to the, um, the feet of the Prophet so they could then benefit. And then you see the effect of this is that so many of them go on to become giants. And now all of their, all of what they've done and accomplished and all the people that they've also brought into deen, that all of that reward and all of that benefit also goes into the account of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, which then high, makes, it makes sense why when the Prophet said that if you were to weigh the iman of Abu Bakr and put it on one side and take the weight of the entire ummah on the other side, the weight of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's iman would outweigh the weight of the iman of the entire ummah of the Prophet It then begins to make sense. And so we had highlighted in particular that of the Ashara Mubashara, the vast majority of those individuals whom the Prophet has said are guaranteed Jannah, they accepted Islam at the hands of Abu Bakr. And so much so that when so when Abu Bakr had accepted Islam without hesitation, it comes in narration that just after this. He went recognizing that how beneficial this, this deen was. He went to bring whoever he could into deen. And the people that he brought immediately, we mentioned the names of Zubair ibn al-Awwam, Talha ibn Ubaidullah, 
Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiyallahu anhum and, and, uh, um, uh, and Uthman bin Affan radiyallahu anhu. And then the subsequent day, the day after, he went and he brought in the likes, he brought in Abdurrahman bin Awf radiyallahu anhu and Arqam bin Abil Arqam radiyallahu anhu. And it isn't that he just brought these people to the Prophet to accept Islam. It's that these people themselves were giants. And all of what they subsequently were able to accomplish also then ends up in the account of Abu Bakr Why? Because he's the responsible being for why these people accepted Islam. And I thought it would be only fair to highlight a few simple points from, from each of their lives. And maybe we won't get through all of them today. Just to appreciate who these individuals were, which means that not, they themselves were giants, and they had accomplished so much, only then can we appreciate how great Abu Bakr anhu was. You can't appreciate how great he was, and how much he had accomplished, and how much he had implemented or acted upon this hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu unless we appreciate who the people are that he actually guided to deen, because that shows how great of an individual he was. So one person we mentioned, that day, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, when he had accepted Islam, he went and he brought Zubair ibn al-Awwam radiallahu anhu to the Prophet And who was Zubair radiallahu anhu? A very special person. You know, one of the most... Uh, you, you, when you hear the stories of Zubair ibn al-Awwam and what kind of a person he was and what kind of a warrior it was, it really puts, you know, every believer to shame. It really puts every believer to shame. Now he, radiallahu anhu, he had accepted Islam at the age of 15 years old. And his father was Awam bin Khuwaylid, who was the brother of Khadija radiallahu anha. So Zubair ibn Awam was actually the nephew of Khadija radiallahu anha. So in and of it, there, that there is very special, right, by itself. He was a nephew of Khadija radiallahu anhu. So by that token, he was a nephew-in-law of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa himself. And at age 15, he had accepted Islam. And he had faced tremendous persecution initially. All, and, and this is what you have to remember. All of the Sahaba that were in Mecca, in the early days of Mecca, they all faced tremendous persecution, so, you know, uh, they, torture at the hands of the Quraysh. It wasn't just the ones that we hear about. We hear about Bilal, we hear about, um, we hear about, Bilal, we hear about Ammar bin Yasir and his family. But all of the early Sahaba, including Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, actually faced physical persecution and torture at the hands of the Quraysh. So we can't, uh, we shouldn't downplay that. Now, that puts them at an even more special uh, state. Right? Their maqam is higher because of that persecution they felt. You could say that no one experienced persecution like this group of Sahaba, which means their rank is elevated even more as a result. And Zubair anhu was no exception to this. He was so beloved to the Prophet ﷺ that the Prophet ﷺ said about Zubair that every Prophet has a disciple. Every Prophet has a disciple and my disciple is Zubair ibn al-Awwam. And my disciple is Zubair ibn al Of all of the companions, the Prophet ﷺ selected Zubair anhu. Now, Zubair anhu, he was a warrior, right, from amongst all warriors. And he participated in all of the major battles. He was involved in Uhud, he was involved in Yarmouk, he was involved in the siege of Banu Qurayba, he was involved in Hunayn, and he was a fierce warrior. Eventually, um, apart from this, apart from him participating physically in all of these battles, uh, he also married the daughter of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, Asma bint Abi Bakr radiallahu anhu. 
So now you can see that, number one, he was a Sahabi who faced persecution, which means he has his, his own reward associated with this. Now think about these components individually, and then how you can tie this back into Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. He was stated by the Prophet to be the disciple of the Prophet Okay, he participated in all of the major battles, and he is known to be a warrior amongst warriors. In fact, the biggest sword in the Topkapi Palace, where the swords of the Sahaba are kept, Zubair ibn Awam whose sword is the biggest. And the then he married Asma radiallahu anha. And imagine the sacrifices that she made. And they collectively built this household. She, she herself made tremendous sacrifice. Asma radiallahu anha. This is the wife of Zubair radiallahu anhu. Now, and by, and by association, he, the, he gets that reward as well, right? Asma radiallahu anha, before, after she was married to Zubair radiallahu anhu, and she was still stayed behind with, when the Prophet and Abu Bakr were still there, and the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu were the ones that had hidden Thawr, in the cave of Thawr. We mentioned this last time, I think. Asma radiallahu anha was that companion who brought food to the Prophet and Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So this is who she was. She was very special. And then... They're coming, and she was expecting at the time, eight or nine months, eight months pregnant, they say. And when she had then migrated and did the hijrah to Medina Munawwara, she began having signs of labor when she was in Quba, on the way to Medina Munawwara. Who was she carrying in her, in her womb? Abdullah bin Zubayr, one of the greatest companions of the Prophet. Now, look, when a parent raises a child and upbrings them properly, that we know is a form of sadaqah jariyah. Meaning everything that child subsequently does goes into the account of the parents. And this is why it's so important as a parent to really put an effort into your children. Who, are the, who was the child of Asma and Zubair radiallahu anhu? It was Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anhu. One of the greatest companions. The greatest companions. In fact, he went on to become the khalifa. He went on to become the khalifa of that time. Uh, of, of the time after. And his khilafah was so strong that it had, but well, before even his Khilafah, by age 27, Abdullah radiallahu anhu, he had, he was involved in the conquests of North Africa, Spain, and even the siege of Constantinople, at least part of Turkey. And then he became the Khalifa, and over the time of his Khilafah, the deen had then expanded to include most of the Hijaz, western, you know, the western peninsula, and Yemen, and Iraq, and Khurasan, and Syria, all of these came under the, uh, the Khilafah of Abdullah ibn Zubayr radiallahu anhu. Now look, all of the people that had come underneath this khilaf and all the people that accepted Islam goes into the account of Abdullah bin Zubair radiallahu anhu. But who gave the tarbiyah of Abdullah bin Zubair? It was Zubair radiallahu anhu and Asma radiallahu anha. Which means Zubair radiallahu anhu gets all of that reward as well. But who brought Zubair radiallahu into deen so that Abdullah bin Zubair could become produced? It was Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. So all, even the expansion of deen that didn't occur at the time of the khilafah of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, but it occurred subsequently because of the downstream effect of that first calling to Islam that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu did. He put emphasis on this person, Zubair ibn al-Awwam, knowing or not knowing that this person would eventually become so special that we could attribute thousands of miles of area and all the people underneath uh, in, uh, uh, under the umbrella of deen not, not knowing this at the time brought Zubair anhu day one or day two into Islam and look at the downstream effect that that one individual had for Abu Bakr anhu. that was Zubair ibn Awam anhu. then we mentioned we mentioned uh, the second person was Talha bin Ubaidullah anhu. And many of the historians say that Zubair and Talha, they were like brothers. They weren't blood brothers, but they were hand in hand. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ said, 
recognizing this relationship between the two of them, that these two, Prophet said, that these two individuals, they are my neighbors in Jannah. These two are my neighbors in Jannah, the Prophet said. So who was Talha radiallahu anhu? When Talha radiallahu anhu had recently returned from a trip and he had heard about the deen, and he had heard that it was just immediately after he had returned, and he had he had heard that the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, uh, he had heard about the Prophet ﷺ propagating deen or inter- announcing deen, and he had heard that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu had accepted Islam, so he immediately went to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's house to ask about him. He's like, what 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 is this deen? So what did Abu Bakr radiallahu taala anhu do? Recognizing this incredible opportunity, he didn't waste a moment. You know, it could have been that he said, okay, let me sit you down. Let me explain the deen to you. This is what it's about, X, Y, and Z. No, he recognized that there's someone even more valuable than myself and that can benefit you more than I can. And so it comes in narrations that he didn't spend time with them in this house. He said, come with me. He took him to the Prophet ﷺ directly. And with the matter of a few moments, Talha radiallahu anhu had accepted Islam. And now that credit then goes to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Talha radiallahu anhu was also known to be a warrior. He was in particular known for his efforts in the battle of Uhud. And all of us know the story of Uhud. And so initially when the, uh, when the, the Sahaba were dominating, right? And then eventually Khalid bin Walid had brought the, uh, he had brought the Quraysh back around at a second time. And then now they had sieged the Muslims. And they had essentially cornered the Prophet ﷺ into a corner. And the Prophet ﷺ was, was, was physically hurt, right? And we know that part of his armor pierced his face and he was physically bleeding. So Talha radiallahu anhu was on the opposite side of this battle and he had seen the Prophet bleeding and he couldn't take it. And he rushed as quickly as he could and he crossed the field in order to come near the Prophet And the entire time he's fending for himself. And the Prophet at one point the Prophet's foot was stuck in a, in a, in a hole and Talha radiallahu anhu removed it. He removed the Prophet and then he took the Prophet by his left arm and he shielded him and he hugged him like this and he put his face in front. And then he used his right arm to fight anyone that was attacking him. Meaning he physically preserved the Prophet on that battle. And they say, it comes in narration after, that he had fought so viciously to protect the Prophet physically in that battle, that he suffered at least 70 stab wounds to his body in that one battle. In that one battle, he suffered 70 stab wounds. Why? So that he could preserve the Prophet Now look what happened. You know, just look at the reaction. In the Battle of Uhud, there was a time when an announcement was made that the Prophet ﷺ had passed away. And you know how much chaos ensued after that statement, right? But, so imagine what would have happened if Talha had, or imagine what could have happened if Talha anhu was not there at the side of the Prophet ﷺ to preserve the Prophet ﷺ at the Battle of Uhud. It's very possible that you and I would not be sitting here today. Meaning it was his effort that the Prophet ﷺ survived. And through the survival of the Prophet ﷺ, deen has reached us today. So Talha anhu gets that reward. But that was due to the effort of Abu Bakr anhu on day one. He brought this person into deen. Who would have been there to preserve the Prophet ﷺ the way Talha anhu had? Now Talha anhu was known for this. He was also known for his generosity and his giving. It's said about Talha radiallahu anhu that one companion said that they had never seen anyone giving away more money in Medina Munawwara without being asked. They had never seen anyone giving away more of their money without being asked than Talha radiallahu anhu. Meaning he was just a selfless individual. So 
this was Talha radiallahu anhu, right? Someone who protected the Prophet physically, someone who, uh, someone who gave away his wealth without any doubt, and someone who the Prophet himself said is his neighbor in Jannah. He was from amongst the Ashara Mubashara. And he was someone early whom Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu brought into deen. And all the downstream effects of Talha radiallahu anhu go into the account of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Including the fact that he was one of the Ashara Mubashara. Okay, we mentioned Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu. Now, Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu was also, again, an early Sahabi. He was day two. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu brought four people initially. Uthman bin Affan, Zubair ibn Awam, Talha ibn Ubaidullah, and Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. And then the following day, according to Al-Bidayah wa he had brought Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu into deen. He was one of the, one of the early Meccans to accept Islam. And just like the other Meccans, he himself also faced torture. He himself was also persecuted. Now eventually he migrated to Medina. What we learn from Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu, uh, well, let me, he, so he migrated to Medina Munawwara. He was a businessman. He was a businessman, meaning he was very savvy in his business tactics. He became amongst the wealthiest of the Sahaba, if not the wealthiest. You know, they try to calculate how much money Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu had. They say, I mean, it was, there, he would, there were, there's no one as wealthy Today, if you, were to, if you were to combine it into U.S. dollars today, the amount of wealth that Abu Bakr, uh, Abdurrahman eventually had, there's no one today that's alive that, has more, that would have had more money than him. Meaning, if he were alive today, he would have had more money than anyone in the world. Meaning, over like $500 billion was the equivalent of his wealth. But look, he was someone who was from Mecca, who was persecuted, who did hijrah from Mecca to uh, Medina Munawwara, essentially with nothing in his hands. Essentially with nothing. And in that short 10-year span of life, he was able to acquire so much wealth through his business tactics and strategy that he became the most successful businessman of the time and that no one's wealth could even compare to his wealth. That was who Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu was. Now, what's amazing about him, he, he himself says, oh, so he arrived in, in Medina Munawwara. So you know what happened in Medina was the Prophet ﷺ paired up one companion with another companion, right? This was the Muhajirin and the Ansar. So he had paired up Abdurrahman radiallahu anhu with uh, a companion by the name of Sa'ad. A companion by the name of Sa'ad. So what did uh, Sa'ad say to him? Just like the other Ansar, he said, okay, look, here's my wealth. You can take half of it. This is my wife. You'll have one of my wives. So he said, split everything in half. Abdurrahman radiallahu anhu said, no, no, no. Listen, just tell me where the, tell me where the market is. I'll take care of it. So he goes to the market and then he begins his first transaction. Meaning he didn't even want to accept what was offered to him by this other companion. This is how savvy of a businessman he was. He became so wealthy that in one battle, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam they had required wealth for the battle. And he himself gave 500 of his horses and 1,500 camels to the army. 1,500 camels. Now, a camel at the, the camel today, may, you may not think it's worth much. A camel at that time was equivalent to a luxury vehicle, like, you know, like a Maybach or something. And he gave 1,500 camels away. 1,500 camels he gave. Imagine how much money he must have had. 1,500 camels. And he wouldn't think twice. In fact, once he said that the people of Medina are my family. The people of Medina are my family. One third of my wealth, I give, I lend it to them. One third of my wealth, I used to pay off their debts. And one third of my wealth, I give toward, uh, toward family to preserve kinship. Meaning, despite him being as wealthy as he was, he chose to give away his wealth to other people over himself. You know, you don't see this today. A philanthropist today, 
you will give away an X amount. You, if you are a billionaire, you may give away a few million dollars, right? And a lot of it is for tax purposes. There were no tax cuts at the time, deductions at the time of the profit system, where, you know, I, I own $500 billion, so I'm going to give you this much money so I can get a tax break and so that people can look at me this way. It didn't exist, right? There's no filing at that time. You, if you gave it away, it was because you were genuinely selfless. This was who Abdurrahman was. He was a selfless individual. He gave 40,000 dinar to the family of the Prophet's mother, Amin. Her family, who was based in, in the Medina Quba area, he gave 40,000 dinar to take care of them. And after the Prophet passed away, who took care of the Prophet's family? It was Abdurrahman bin Awf. He took care of the Prophet's family. Who brought him into deen, this special individual? Abu Bakr, he brought him into deen. Did Abu Bakr anhu know that this would become the wealthiest of the believers? That this person would give away millions or billions of dollars for the service of deen? I mean, Allah knows best, but he didn't have this divine inspiration. All he realized was that deen was given to me and this gift I need to pass it on to someone else. And the following day, he took Abu Rahman bin Awf to the Prophet and the Prophet and, and he accepted Islam at the hands of the Prophet Now, all of the downstream effects of Abu Rahman bin Awf, all of the money that was given in the service of Deen, all all of that goes to the Prophet Abu Bakr anhu. Not only is it that we learn, not only is it is it that the uh, now you got to think about it, think about it more uh, open-mindedly. It isn't that okay, fine. Abu Rahman bin Awf who gave wealth and. Now, there's a reward associated with giving that wealth. So he gets that reward, and because Abu Bakr brought him into the he'll get the reward. You've got to think about it more broadly than that. How about the principles of giving away wealth? And the ideas of selflessness, we learn it from Abdul Rahman bin Auf. So that 1400 years ago, when we want to understand how a person should give sadaqah, and how a person should give away their wealth, and how they should pay off other people's debts, we learn it through Abdul Rahman bin Auf, meaning all of these principles in deen we're learning from this companion. So even to this day, millions of people are benefiting, maybe billions if you include the ummah, they're all benefiting from the approach of Abdurrahman bin Auf So all of that's going back into the account of Abu Bakr as well, to this day. Okay, we mentioned that in the early days, so that's Abdurrahman bin Auf Someone who was selfless. You know, one other thing that's said about him, you know, you'd think that someone who was the multi-billionaire of, this, of their time, they would have sort of this, um, this complex about them. You know, I have a lot of money. You know, once he was having iftar, and he saw the food that was prepared for iftar, and he began to cry. This was after the, after, it may have been after the time of the Prophet and passing away. I, I don't recall exactly. And he began to cry. And he said that, you know, uh, he said, this, this, I'm afraid that our reward is being hastened. I'm afraid that our reward is being hastened because he was brought one plate of, of food for iftar for breaking a fast. He was concerned. Subhanallah, think about this for a minute, right? We, we don't have a billion dollars. We don't have a million dollars. But we don't think twice about the food that comes before us. Now, yeah, if I have more money than that, then I'm, I'm definitely not going to think twice about the food. I'm not thinking that, subhanallah, the light that I'm experiencing in this, in this room right now, that's brightening us, I'm not thinking that, subhanAllah, maybe this is a reward and it's being hastened so that I can't receive it in, in Jannah. I'm not thinking that, right? I'm not thinking when I have dinner tonight, subhanAllah, I'm having a full plate of dinner right now. You know, subhanAllah, maybe my reward is being hastened so that I won't be getting it in Jannah. Now imagine someone who's a billionaire 
making this statement? How can I eat this one plate of food? Not how can I indulge in the millions of dollars that's been given to me? It's how can I indulge in one plate of food? Because maybe this means my reward is being hastened. So this is how special Abdul Rahman bin Awf was. Okay, we'll cover one more companion. We mentioned that at the time of the early uh, of early Makkah again, one of the people that the, Abu Bakr who had brought into the had brought let's say facilitated Deen for was Bilal ibn Rabah radiAllahu anhu. Right, Bilal the, the Abyssinian slave or once was an Abyssinian slave radiAllahu anhu. Look at what this person did. Right, he had heard through his masters that had owned him about the Prophet Now they were bringing him up, Umayyah bin Khalif in particular, they would bring up the Prophet in hate and, and disrespect. But he listened to this, the, the words of these people and said, SubhanAllah, there's something special about this man. So he accepted Islam in his heart. Not, he, he, he underwent tremendous torture. And we all know, you can ask a six-year-old child, tell me about Bilal and the torture that he experienced. And everyone knows the torture of Bilal radiallahu anhu. That during the daytime in the hot sun of Makkah Mukarramah, they used to place a boulder on his on his chest and have him lie flat on the on the sun baked ground, and 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 they would and they would make him renounce his faith, but he wouldn't do so. And then what they would do after that is they would stand him up. They would take a take a um, uh, what do you call it a dog uh, a leash. They would take a leash and put it around his neck, and they would the children uh, would would walk him try to try to embarrass him through the streets of Makkah Mukarramah. Now. Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu came to rescue him right from this torture and he told his master Umayyah bin Khalf that uh, whatever you want for this man I'll give it think about that look you and I know who Bilal radiallahu anhu is now we all know who he is we know what he did we know what a special person he was but Abu Bakr didn't know it at the time all he knew was that this person at this stage was a believer. That's all he knew. He didn't know he would become the first Mu'addin. He didn't know that he would do X, Y, and Z. But he told Umayyah bin Khalf, whatever you want for him, I'll give it. Meaning whatever sacrifice I have to make, I'm willing to make it for the sake of this believer's deen. Tell me what it is and I'm willing to give it. Tell me what it is. Don't put, just tell me what it is. So he paid for Bilal radiallahu anhu. And he took Bilal radiallahu anhu. And then Umayyah bin Khalif said, you know, uh, this, uh, to insult Bilal, he said, this person is so worthless to me that if, even if you would have given me one you know, dinar or dirham, I, I forget, even if you were to give me one of these, it would have been enough. That's how worthless he is to me. And Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, again, not knowing at the time who Bilal would become, said to Umayyah bin Khalif, even if you were to ask me for a hundred dinars, I would have given it to you today. That's the value of this person to me. Even if you were to ask me for a hundred, I would have given it to you. So who does Bilal radiallahu anhu become? What happens in his life? Right? The, the, the most famous thing that we think about, which is you know, obviously one of his greatest accomplishments, was that he was the first mu'addin of Islam. When the time came in Medina Munawwara, when eventually Bilal radiallahu anhu had migrated over, and he was in Medina Munawwara, and, the, and, and the, there were the compan two companions had a dream about the adhan. And they told the Prophet ﷺ about this dream. And so the Prophet ﷺ said, yes, this is going to be the new call to prayer that will call our community and then every subsequent community or generation that, were to, that was to come after. And every masjid in the world will be calling these words, I need to choose someone to first make this call. And he chose Bilal radiallahu anhu to make this call. 
what an honor. What an honor to become the first mu'adhin of our deen. Now the first imam of our deen is who? The Prophet ﷺ. He led salah. Right? That's the first, you know, when you think about the two leaders of any community or two leaders of the, you think the imam who leads the prayer and the mu'adhin, right? Those are the two most respected people. Today, you go to Makkah Mukarramah, the two respected people, the person who calls the azan and the person who's the imam. The imam is the Prophet ﷺ and the mu'adhin is who? Bilal radiallahu anhu. And he calls the adhan. He's the first person to call the Adhan in Medina. Then when the companions in the Fatah Makkah, the Prophet ﷺ is entering into Medina, into Makkah Mukarramah, and, and he's promised everyone that despite what you've done to me, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم There's no, there's no, uh, there's no pressure upon you today. You know, there's, there's no, we're, we're not taking any, any, any recompense today. Okay? And so then they eventually circle around the Kaaba. And now the call has to be made at the Kaaba. The call that, or a, a call that resembles the call that Ibrahim salam made generations ago. And now a call that will be made from the Kaaba, and that call will subsequently be made 1400 years ago to this day from that same place. And who did the Prophet choose? He told Bilal, get on top of the Kaaba and call the Adhan. A, once was a slave, a black Abyssinian slave, was now chosen to call the Adhan, the first Adhan from above the Kaaba. So now he's the first Mu'adhin of Makkah. And now he's the first Mu'adhin of Medina. And then, at the time, Khilafah of Umar radiallahu anhu. When Umar radiallahu anhu and the Muslim uh, and the companions uh, had, had, had taken over Jerusalem. And now the keys to Jerusalem were given to Umar radiallahu anhu. And now a call had to be made. Now a call had to be made. So Umar radiallahu anhu looked in no other direction but the direction of Bilal radiallahu anhu. And said, would you do this the honor? To call the Adhan from Jerusalem. So Bilal radiallahu anhu accepted. And it said that that day that he called the Adhan in Jerusalem, every single person that heard this Adhan began to cry. Now, why did they cry? When the Prophet passed away, Bilal radiallahu anhu refused to call the Adhan again. He couldn't do it. He couldn't utter the word of Muhammad Rasulullah, which is a part of the Adhan, after the Prophet was no longer a part of his life. He couldn't do it. So years had gone by and he hadn't given the adhan. But this was a special occasion. And at the request of the leader, Umar radiallahu anhu, Bilal radiallahu anhu accepted. And he gave the adhan. And all of the companions cried. And it comes in narration that the one who cried the most was the fiercest of the companions, Umar radiallahu anhu. This honor to be given, to give the adhan, be the first mu'adhin of the three holiest cities, was given to a black Abyssinian slave by the name of Bilal ibn Rabah. Who? Whom? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu facilitated deen for. Now we know. Now we know that this is the first mu'adhin. And for years later, we're still benefiting from his adhan. And he's the reason that we hear an adhan in Makkah and in Medina and in Masjid al-Aqsa today. Abu Bakr didn't know this. He didn't know. All he knew was that this was a believer who needed to be, who, who I needed to facilitate Dean for. And now all of that is going into the account of Abu Bakr. Years after he's even passed away, it's going into his account. And now everyone that calls the Adhan, who mimics the, the utterance of Bilal radiallahu anhu, where is that all going to? Of course it's going to Bilal radiallahu anhu, which is why he's so special and he's one of the Ashara Mubashara. But who facilitated his Dean? If, if Abu Bakr on that day, if, if, if Umayyah bin Khalf said, you know what, uh, this is the amount, Abu Bakr said, I can't afford this, let me step away. What would have happened? What would have happened to our ummah? What would have happened to the deen? What would have happened to the adhan? Allah knows. But this was the attitude of Abu Bakr that 
I need to facilitate Deen for everyone. Now, what are the lessons we learn? Right? So it's not only that it's not only the actions that Bilal performed or the adhan that he taught us, but all the principles. I mean, so many of the principles of Deen that relate to equality and racial justice, they all come from the Prophet raising of Bilal radiallahu anhu's status. And all of that today that we take, it's all from there. And that was all facilitated because Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu on that day decided to facilitate the deen of Bilal ibn Rabah radiallahu anhu. So this, these are just three people who, Bilal, who Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu brought. Just three people whom he brought. And look how much each of, or four people, and look how much each of them individually contributed. And look at the downstream effects of every single one of them. And now all of that goes into Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu's account. So it makes us, it, make, it should make us think. And it should make us wonder, who can I bring into deen? And who can I bring toward, uh, bring toward Islam? And, and whose deen can I facilitate? You know, we, and this goes back to the principle we talked about last time and how we started with today. That look, yes, we have a routine and we have dhikr and we have our own efforts that we put into ourselves. And they can take us a distance. But the Prophet ﷺ clearly told us that if we do it ourselves, we get X amount of reward. But if we facilitate or we encourage, we bring other people toward doing actions as well, that'll all go into our account also. So this should be our attitude, that who can I bring? You know, who can I bring toward the masjid? Who can I bring toward uh, righteous gatherings? No, 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 no person left behind. Don't think, don't belittle a single person. And in particular, if there's a person that has qualities that you see are sincere, then you absolutely bring them into deen because these people will eventually become a gem of deen. To this day we see this, right? The big ulama and mashayikh, what have they done? They find people in the community that they know are really going to contribute to deen. They put effort into those people and then those people begin to spread deen. Now what happens? All of that effort goes into their account. This is why we think of, you know, great scholars, right, of our, of our deen. You think of, you know, for instance, Mana Ashraf Ali Tanwi, rahimahullah. Right, like, why do we all remember his name? And why was he Because of all the people that he himself trained. And then all of those people that they subsequently trained and all of the benefit they got all goes into his account. And you could just take any scholar or any sheikh and this is, this is just the way our deens function. So we should, take, we should take lessons from these sahaba. We should take lessons from their lives. And we should in particular take a lesson from, a, from this chapter of Abu Bakr anhu's life. The early chapter where he sought people to bring into deen. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you and I the tawfiq to recognize the importance of, of bringing other people uh, toward deen and encourage, or encouraging them toward righteous actions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us a sacrifice in the way that uh, Zubair, Talha, Abdurrahman, Ibn Auf, and Bilal radiallahu anhu had sacrificed. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant uh, us the tawfiq to reap the rewards of anyone that we've brought benefit to. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.